2: Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630 575 seven. You can email your questions by emailing questions at CalvarySA dot com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel Mobile app. And as always if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Great to have you today. I hope you had a great weekend at church. Yesterday was communion Sunday for us, and I absolutely love and cherish the privilege of coming to the Lord's table. Um, Hoping that people got saved, you know, Communion Sunday is the only day we don't have people come forward publicly. So I don't really know if people got saved, but I I, I trust by faith that, that there were some who did. Um, really a, a, a good day. Communion Sunday always is. Hey, we've got a lot going on tonight. Uh, our Bible studies begin. Uh, they resume again. Um, our men, women, and youth Bible studies, all starting at 7 o'clock. Ladies in particular, uh, this is a shout out to you. Tonight begins our Sweet Summer Devotion Series. That is a series every summer that we have where Paula picks with the help of Holy Spirit picks uh, eight or nine women who will share um, what God has done in their lives. I, I think it's perfect timing. It's always a big deal here. And we get a lot of people who participate. And I think that's really, really good. So that's at seven o'clock. Uh, you can watch it at uh, CalvarySA.com on live stream. However, uh, if you're here, you get to stick around for uh, the podcast. The, uh, Fellowship, the interaction that happens after the study is done, the teaching is done, or in the subsequent weeks, the testimonies are are done. Um, That's always a really fruitful time. So it's always best to get here. Uh, And uh, so we'll see at seven o'clock. Worship starts at seven. The men, the women and the youth worship together and then they go their separate ways um, when the worship is over. So that's tonight at seven o'clock. Tonight happens to be Paula teaching and she will be teaching. It's not just a testimony. Everybody knows her testimony, but she generally kicks off the Sweet Summer Devotion series. And uh, she's going to do that tonight. We'd love to have you there. Also, I had a question uh Friday that I just forgot. Those things happen when you get old and I just forgot. I even had it on my notes. Um it was a question from Dee about Colson fellows and, and uh my recommendation or lack of recommendation. Uh, and uh, what I would say about Colson Fellows, the, the, the Colson um, legacy is a, is a good legacy, a strong legacy. Um, one of the problems with the, the, the Colson legacy is that it was ecumenical. Um, Catholics and Christians together, Christians. Catholics and evangelicals together was the uh was the name of the the organization and I'm just I don't think there's really any value how can two walk together unless they agree to do so and and the, the Colson group now obviously Charles Colson is with Jesus now and he was a true born again believer um but but the, the idea that we can work together to, to overcome differences uh, when a lot of the people that you're working with throw away Scripture, uh, it just doesn't seem possible to me. Um, this is a program, like a lot of programs, that if you look to the website, they have lofty goals. Uh, make your walk with Jesus more passionate. Um, uh, fulfill your destiny in a world, uh, how to have a more vibrant and passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. All those things sound really, really good, but they never tell you how to do it. The other thing that's troubling to me on this D is that there's no statement of faith. Uh, there's nothing that I can hold on to. Do they believe the Bible is the word of God? Um, and the answer is probably sort of. And that's always troublesome for me uh, because it either is or it isn't. And if it isn't, we don't have any standards. Uh, and uh, the people that are involved, I know two of them, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who, of course, uh, is a, a, a heroic Christian figure. Uh, and Oz Guinness, uh, who is a, a wonderfully interesting man and uh, truly a born-again Christian. Uh, Oz was uh, part of Ravi Zacharias' team before Ravi fell into sin and was exposed. Um, So, again, I just think whenever you find somebody with these lofty goals, but no real explanation how to get there, they're going to sell you something. You're going to have to pay to be involved in it at some point. Uh, And that information on their website is just really, really lacking. And so for me. It has all kinds of red flags. I was listening to uh, their goals and how to get to their goals and the things that they're going to talk about uh, on their agenda over the the next year. And there are none of those things that can't be accomplished by being in the Word, uh, by being a part of a Bible teaching church. Uh, There's nothing that they have to add to that practice. If you want to know how to live a passionate, fruitful Christian life, the Word, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And, um, uh, these kind of parachurch organizations are always just a little bit troublesome for me. So if you go in, um, discerning, uh, and you don't mind spending the money, uh, to do something that you can do for free just by being a diligent student of your Bible, um, um, are there going to be some interesting discussions and conversations? Of course there are. But remember, our whole, our teacher is the Holy Spirit. So that's the best I can do on it simply because they don't give any information without a statement of faith. And and whenever you find a, a Christian or quasi-Christian organization who refuses to provide their statement of faith, um, that seems to me to be a huge red flag, uh, and I would be wary of it. Um, your choice, if you're discerning, and I know D is— um, then uh, let the Spirit of God lead. So I hope that answers your question at least as much as possible without a statement of faith that I could really dig into. 3409585, here is a question that comes up because of my message yesterday from Nacho from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, this is more of an observation than a question regarding Acts 11 uh, 27 through 30. It struck me as particularly special that when the prophet Agabus prophesied in Antioch about the coming of a severe famine, a famine so broad and obviously detrimental to all the people in the known world, actually it was the Roman world. Uh, at the time, uh, to include Antioch, uh, that the first reaction of the brothers there was immediate care for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Talk about love and action. Not sure. I tried to highlight that. I had a limited amount of time, but but I really tried to make sure that that um, that was a godly response, rather than than freaking out or worrying about what they were going to do. Uh, their question was, well, how can we help our brothers and sisters? And that's where our help should always begin, with our brothers and sisters. And uh, that first reaction was simply a love reaction, and that's exactly what they did. So you are absolutely right right about that. And then he says this, on a side note, the prophet Agabus seems to have a very focused gift of prophecy dramatic events, uh, first here in Antioch and then later in Caesarea in Acts 21, uh, where he met Paul on his way to Jerusalem to possible doom. Is there any other mentions of Agabus and his prophecies? Um, No, there there aren't. He's mentioned only twice in the scriptures. Um, I said in my Bible study yesterday tradition has it that he was one of the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out two by two in Luke chapter 10 uh, and they had power over demons and the power to heal and and the, the those kind of things uh but but we don't even know if that's true uh nacho at all um he also he didn't have a focused gift of prophecy; he was in fact a prophet. now remember in the New Testament, there was no Bible, and prophets, whether it was philip's four daughters or or uh the the New Testament prophets that were familiar with Mark. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, the other apostles, Titus, um, uh, Barnabas, th- those those who 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 are identified as prophets in the New Testament. The prophets' job in the early church was exactly um, what the Bible does for us now. They delivered God's word. It's hard for us to imagine, but um, you know, when thousands of people are getting saved. Um, everything changes in an instant, but they had no idea what it meant. They knew what life was like before Christ. Now they had to learn what life was like after Christ. Well, you and I, we have a Bible to tell us that, but they didn't. So these prophets empowered by God's spirit These prophets essentially served as a living, breathing word of God. And they would go into a place or into an area where there are some churches and they would go minister to the Christians and the Christians would have all kinds of questions. Now, we know that because Paul, who also was a prophet, um, uh, Paul is dealing in several of his letters, most notably to the Corinthians, with questions that they had. Well, what about this? And what about this? And you see, Christians had to learn to look at the world through a completely different lens post being saved. So prophets would be available. They would travel from church to church and they would be declaring the word of God. Not necessarily foretelling the future. In this particular case, Agabus foretold the future. There is a drought coming or a famine coming, and it's going to be severe, so everybody needs to be ready for it. That was telling the future, but primarily uh, the job of a New Testament prophet was was uh, to, to foretell, not foretell, foretell the word of God. And they had it by the power of the Spirit. And, as, of course, we know later um, uh, the Word of God would be uh, put together in a volume. Uh, and, of course, we know that as our Bible. So uh, he is a very a dramatic prophet in the Acts chapter 21 passage. Um, it just seems to be part and parcel of the Old Testament prophets and he seemed to take after them clearly he was a Jew and clearly he was a home based in uh, in Jerusalem so uh, remember not so much foretelling although it did happen on occasion their job was foretelling the word of God and they were instructing Christians who had no earthly idea what to do they were instructing Christians how to live their lives now that they have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior Uh, Unfortunately, no other mentions of him in the Bible and no other record of his prophecies or his instruction. But that's just uh, the way it was in the early church. We are so blessed to have our Bibles. I think sometimes we so take it for granted. We are so blessed to have our Bibles. And let me just from a personal perspective, appeal to all of you. When I got saved, uh, I couldn't get enough of the word. Now, clearly, I didn't know the future. I didn't know I was going to lose my vision. Now that I can't read, now that I can't read, I miss it so much. I miss it so much. Paula, bless her heart, she reads to me as much as I would want her to. If I asked her to read all day, she would. But it's not the same as being able to pick up a Bible and devour it. You know, I'm so envious of pastors that can walk up to the pulpit and take a Bible with them and nothing but a Bible, and they can preach right from the Bible. I can't see that. And so I have to have huge letters on on notes and things like that, uh, and I miss it. all of that to say, please, those of you with the ability to read, discipline yourself to do so. There's nothing in your life that you will do that is more productive or more fruitful than really digging into the Bible. Men, your children should know Daddy's favorite book is the Bible, the Word of God. They should see you with it always. They should hear it coming from your mouths. And I'm grateful that God really put that hunger in my heart all those years ago. Because I couldn't get enough, and I literally and I'm not exaggerating here in the least, I literally would spend uh, eight to twelve hours a day studying my Bible. just nothing more that I would love to be able to do than that so i hope I uh, hope that encourages some of you. here's a question from Aaron. Uh, The Apostle Paul says there are none righteous, but he also says the righteous will live by faith. How can both of those things be true? Well, what Paul is saying when he says there is none righteous, not even one, no one who seeks God. What he's saying is in our carnal state, um, we, we don't desire the things of God. Uh, there's no righteousness in us. But when he says the righteous live by faith, Aaron, he's talking about those who have imputed righteousness. In other words, it's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ given to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So my righteousness is a borrowed righteousness. It's, it, I have nothing to do with that righteousness, but God has given me his righteousness. I was able to mention it in one of our services yesterday. But um, one of the, 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 the staggering things um, in Second Corinthians 5.21, where we're told he who knew no sin became righteous because he lived without sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. And Aaron, here's the deal that was made on the cross. Jesus said, look, you give me your filth and I'll give you my perfection. And so that's the righteousness we have. And it's a righteousness that can only be lived out by faith and walking in faith. So it's true. In our flesh, there's nothing good. Uh, There's nothing righteous. But Jesus, who has given us his righteousness by faith, all we have to do is receive it That righteousness then becomes ours. And again, it's a borrowed righteousness, but it is the best kind of righteousness because it is absolutely pure. That's the righteousness of Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So no contradiction there, Aaron. It's just a distinction between flesh and spirit. So thank you very much for the question. 3409585 for your live calls and questions if you're outside the local San Antonio area you can call toll free at 8776305757. Nancy asked this question, Bible says, ask and you will receive. Does that mean that we can ask for anything? Nancy, we know instinctively that's not the case. When I got saved, um, you know, I needed money and I got hooked up with some people at work who said, yeah, well, you know, all you have to do is have enough faith and God has to answer your questions. That didn't work. And I knew instinctively that there was something wrong with it. But, you know, I so wanted them to be right. Um, but when Jesus is asking you will receive, uh, it means you got to ask with the right heart, right motive. It means you got to ask according to the will of God. Remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus himself asked. Jesus, who was perfect. He asked for this cup to pass from him, and his father said no. The apostle Paul in Second Corinthians 12, he asked uh, that the thorn in his flesh uh, permitted um, uh, by God, a, a messenger of Satan, um, afflicted him uh, to take that from him. And three times the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So we can't just ask for anything. We've got to ask in the will of God. We've got to ask with the right heart, uh, the right motive, and that's for the glory of God. It doesn't mean that we can ask for anything. Nancy, yesterday, and you might want to listen to uh, the message I did, uh, a lot of it was about prayer. Um, We were in uh, the book of Acts chapter, the end of chapter 11, and the beginning of chapter 12, and a lot of it was about prayer. And I went into some detail regarding uh, how we can pray and get our prayers answered. And, and I always encourage people um, uh, that if, if we can ask and God will do, uh, don't you think your life would change? But we have to ask according to his will. We have to ask for his glory, not just anything. You know, the psalmist David writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so often we think that means, okay, well, give me the new house. Or give me the new car. Give me the new spouse. You know, uh, but but that those are things that are contrary to God's will. So um, Paul says with a grateful heart, with thanksgiving, we can make our request known to God. And I'm an eager make my request known to God man. And I always start out by saying, God, my heart is so grateful for all that you've done, for everything you've done, Lord. But I'm asking for this according to your will, not my will be done. Very important. And when you start getting your prayers answered, then and only then will you become a prayer monster, a prayer warrior because when you start getting your prayers answered, you're going to want to pray. Left time left. Let's go to Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Thank you, Jimmy. You're on the air.
1: Hi, Pastor Ron.
2: Hi, Jimmy. Hey,
1: uh, sir. If when somebody says that, um, uh, um, like somebody told me the other day, I'm anointed by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I mean, I'm like. People used to tell me that, and I, I didn't accept it long, long time ago. And I used to sing praise and worship, and I said, "No, I'm not anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ who, who, uh, who touched your heart. It wasn't me. I just sing to the Lord. That's all. I wasn't. But, 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 and that the Holy Spirit does the job. Yeah, I take Jimmy, no credit for it.
2: Our, our culture kind of misunderstands it. We think anybody with talent will call them anointed. There's a whole bunch of uh, preachers who say they're anointed and they're teaching rubbish, you know, just horrible, horrible stuff. And, and so the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a tool that God is using, you have to be anointed. And anointing is simply being under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're ministering to somebody through song, if you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and you be, you're being obedient, you're doing it with the right heart, your fellowship with God is good, uh, then in fact you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to shy away from that term. And the reality is, is God is using you as a tool to impact somebody else's life. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what it means to be anointed. And every believer, every believer, born again Christian, has the opportunity to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Jimmy, you've heard me say this on this show many times. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit and the context there is in power to those who obey so when you're living an obedient life when god gives you the opportunity to share and you're doing it you take advantage of it or or if you have the gift of music um and and people are moved by it and and you don't want the attention but what you're doing is just doing what god's god, given well, you the gift to well, do well then you are truly being uh, a servant who yeah, well, uses the anointing that God has given you for exactly the right reasons. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yes. Yeah, yes sir. Um yeah, I, I just was um just telling the Holy Spirit's the one that anointed you within me. I'm just the fool.
2: Well, no, poor. the Holy Spirit anoints you but, but the yeah. Holy Spirit also then goes after the believer. And here's something, Jimmy, and I have trouble with this, too. You and I are alike in this regard. Uh, we don't want to take any of God's glory. We don't, we don't want any attention uh, when God uses us. But I have found the best thing to do when somebody says uh, something nice about my preaching. Believe me, Jimmy, nobody's ever said anything nice about my singing. So that's not the possibility. But whenever anybody says something nice, um, uh, the best answer is, Thank you. And then under your breath, you could say, thank you, Jesus. If they only knew the real me, thank you that, that I'm usable. And I think that's the best approach. It's not touching God's glory. It's not trying to take the credit for it. You're just acknowledging what an honor and a privilege it is to be used by the Lord in somebody else's life. So um, I know it can be a little embarrassing. Um, uh, I, I hate attention. And yet uh, there will be times in your life when God wants to be sure that the attention is focused on you because he knows that you will do the right thing with that attention and you will give God glory for it. I hope that makes sense to you. I want you to enjoy using the gifts that God has given you. All right. Okay. I think Jimmy's off the line now. Hey, we are just about at the end of the first half of the program. Uh, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, and we'd love to have them. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, toll-free number is 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I will be back in two minutes.
0: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show. I don't know if you're like I am, but I am overwhelmed by how fast this year is going. I can't believe we're already in June. Here is a question from our email inbox. It is anonymous. Pastor Ron, I am new to the church, meaning Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. God bless you. Um, Come and introduce yourself to me. Um, He or she says, I'm new to the church, and I love it uh, and love the teaching. Thank you. Uh, I have met most of the other pastors. My question is, do the other pastors ever teach from the pulpit? At my last church, the other pastors would rotate on Wednesday nights. Does this church do that? Anonymous, my job here is teaching the word. Now, I do other things, but that is uh, my primary function. Uh, so, I am the principal Bible teacher here uh, at the church. Uh, all of my other pastors get teaching opportunities. Tonight, Pastor Kim, normally would be Pastor Kim, but he left on vacation today. Uh, so, uh, Pastor Peter, our doctor from Multimedical, will be teaching the men's study. Um, and, of course, a women's study. Pastors can't be women, so they're not pastors. Uh, and Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew our uh, youth pastors. will be teaching uh, the youth. We have a men's Bible study um, every other Saturday morning. Um, Pastor Alfredo uh, teaches that. Uh, we have a, a Spanish Bible study. Pastor Ed teaches that. And all of my pastors at some point or another will find their way into the pulpit. But it's my job to be here and it's my job to teach the word of God. I'm not worried about them. I'm not protecting the pulpit from from them. I love them and they are truly gifted teachers. Um, but, but my primary function is to be there. Uh, I teach on Wednesday nights, Friday nights and Sundays. And uh, only when I am gone, or on the very rare occasion when I'm sick, or or when I go on vacation, I will actually be going on vacation on the 19th of this month, uh, and for that two weeks, um, those pastors will be rotating, and they all love to teach. They're all great at it. Different personalities. I I, I really enjoy listening to them so they get opportunities um to uh to teach but for me uh, i like what i do Uh, you know i'm not looking for a day off um so uh, we make sure they get opportunities to teach Uh, it's just not typically in the in the services where the most number of people are so anonymous i hope that answers your question Um, um they're really good teachers uh different i said different styles some of them are funny some of them are deadly serious um but but the reality is um they they love the lord and they're gifted teachers and as wonderful as they are at teachers they're better people than that so I'm glad you got to meet them um they represent me and most importantly they represent Jesus really and truly they represent him well so um occasionally they do um, if you want to hear them, um, starting on the nineteenth, on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, they'll be teaching. Pastor Ken uh, almost always teaches on Sundays in my absence. He is the pastor who will eventually replace me. He's got uh, a bunch of teachings on our website. Um, but all of the all of the pastors uh, get to teach, and they'll take turns uh, in the rotation. Good question, three four zero ninety-five eighty-five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Lance. Um, Pastor Ron, why does God allow Satan to do things that hurt people like he did for Job and Paul? Lance, I have no idea. I mean, if I was God and everybody in the sound of my voice is glad that I'm not. But if I was God, I wouldn't allow Satan to do that. I wouldn't even allow Satan access to my throne room. And yet clearly Satan has access, as do other angels, to the throne room of God. So we want to know why. I don't know. Um, um, The devil's job is to afflict people. The devil's job is to um, harass people. Uh, to, to destroy people's lives, and he is good at it. The one comfort lens that we can take is that he can't touch us physically. The devil can't harm us physically without direct uh, um, uh, approval from, from God himself. Uh, And and frankly, I just don't think most people like me, Lance, are not important enough for for Satan and Jesus to be talking about. Um, With Job, God had a reason that that, that he allowed the enemy to afflict Job. Um, The Apostle Paul, we know what that reason was. Uh, Paul said these afflictions, his thorn in the flesh was given um, to keep him from being um, conceited. Um, You know, Paul, uh, because of his his great revelations and visions, Paul actually had been to heaven. And uh, every time maybe he got a little bit carried away with himself, uh, that thorn in the flesh would hit him again and he would remember, oh no, I I need to be humble. All of those things were a gift from God. But beyond that, um, I don't know. Those are the only two instances in Scripture where the devil is attributed directly to physical pain. Or physical affliction. Now, let me clarify one thing, Lance. And while the Bible doesn't deal with this specifically, I can, um, with some expertise, um, experientially let you know what happened in my life. Um, I've suffered from migraine headaches most of my life. Turns out, uh, it took a long time to figure out what they were. But I have some food allergies, preservatives, and things like that and um, um, I'd get uh, crippling migraines I, I mean f- they feel like I was having a stroke uh, they were that bad that much pain and um, there were times when I was getting ready to serve the Lord especially as a young Christian Satan was really trying to discourage me when I, I was going to serve the Lord I was going to teach a Bible study or participate in a, in a thing I, I would come down with these horrible migraines and I hadn't eaten anything wrong um and I learned experientially uh, just by saying, you know, I've got to go do this, Lord. I was going to a, a Harvest Crusade, and I was actually one of the counselors. And uh, I remember saying, look, I'm going to go. It doesn't matter how bad I feel. I'm going to go. So, Lord, you have to strengthen me. I'm going to go. And as soon as I made that decision, it was gone. The headache was gone instantly. And I concluded that the enemy was able to recreate the pain. He has access to our brains. He can't, he doesn't know what we're thinking, but he can put thoughts in our brains. And I think knowing the pain that I've had in the past with that, um, he, he recreated the impression of that kind of pain to try to stop me from serving the Lord. But when I said, I'm going no matter what, then it was just gone. So that's not a physical affliction. It felt physical, believe me. But um, as to why God allows it, I don't know. If I was God, I wouldn't, but I'm not God. And as I said, everybody's glad. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Let's go to Dwayne calling from Shirts, Texas, on line one. Duane, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hello, young man. How are you?
2: Well, I'm better now that you call me young man.
1: My question is: uh, Where does it say I love to learn the Bible? Where does it say that women cannot be pastors?
2: First Timothy chapter two verse twelve.
1: Can you can you um, explain that to me?
2: I sure can. Or read it to me. I sure can, Dwayne. It says, um, uh, in, in the context of that whole chapter is is orderly worship. Um, it, it, Timothy, goes go appoint elders, um, uh, take care of the church, Here are the guidelines. And he says in that verse, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. And he goes back to well, Genesis. It's that simple. And he goes back to Genesis and the uh, hermeneutic is simple. If God is saying something. That
1: was Timothy.
2: Yeah, it's 1 I'm Timothy 2.12.
1: Okay. Okay. Very well, but I'm listening, yes. Oh, Thank okay. you very
2: much. Thank you. God bless you, Dwayne. I appreciate you saying I'm a young man. Um, two things. One, when, when, when the Bible goes back to Genesis, um, and, and here's what he says, I do not permit a woman to teach her authority over a man in the church. And then he says, it was Eve who was deceived and not Adam. Now, that doesn't imply that women are more easily deceived or they're less spiritual. That's simply not the truth. Um, But he goes back to Genesis. That's a hermeneutic establishing a pattern. This is something that applies to all churches at all times. Now, if we go to Corinthians, when Paul is talking about um, uh, women not being allowed to speak in the church, um, uh, he was addressing a local, out-of-control Congregation and the women were rebelling against the authority of their husbands, but but he's addressing just that local congregation and there's no mention of Genesis. It's not something that that we should take in that book. For instance, the, the head coverings. Um, we we he doesn't go to Genesis to establish that uh, fact. So uh, we can then surmise that it is a local assembly thing um, it is first Timothy two twelve. it's clear and it's also clear Dwayne sadly that uh, there's just lots of people in our um, tongue-in-cheek sophisticated culture uh, that ignores it because hey women are equal and they are there's only one role that they're denied and that's the role of leadership in the church and in the home. God doesn't care about the rest of the world. You can have a lady boss. You can have a woman president or a governor or any other position of authority. But God says, no, the Christian home and the Christian church is mine. And here is the rules. This is the order. Thank you, Dwayne. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Ruben from Seguin on line two. Ruben, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
1: God bless you, Pastor Ron. Good to hear your voice again.
2: Thank you. Aren't you gonna call me a young man too? <laughs> a
1: young man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you are definitely a young man. Yeah. Um I, Yeah, so am I. <laughs> um I've I've been pretty open with you since I met. I've I've uh told you some pretty intimate details without, you know, going too far. I would say so. I could say on the radio. Yeah. So I'm going to lay it on the line today and uh, just ask you a question. Uh, But I'm going to preface my question with a couple of scriptures. Genesis, uh, I don't remember where, but it says it's not good for man to be alone. So that's when God made uh, Eve. Mm -hmm. And then in Proverbs, it tells us a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, it may not be verbatim but I think that's what it says in, in Proverbs. So yep. with those being said, why am I still single? I've been single for many, many years after trying relationship after relationship uh, without, because they were not Christians. And I was, you know, I you know, just wasn't obeying God. And now that I am, it's been years, and I'm, I'm talking about a lot of years that I've been single, and I had someone prophesy, and I'm using quotes when I say that, uh, tell me that I have the gift of singleness, which I do not accept one, one bit, because that's <laughs> not in the Bible. <laughs> so that's my question. I just, why am I single?
2: Yeah, Ruben, you know why questions are hard questions, because we don't have the mind of God. I can principally give you some really good direction here, I think. And um, I would ask you just to sort of bear with me and um, and let the Holy Spirit sort of speak to your heart. And And just for the audience, everybody who heard Ruben say had people prophesy. That's nonsense, just nonsense. There, There is a gift of celibacy. Um, Paul says, I wish you all were as I am talking about this very issue, discussing whether it's better to be single or better to be married. Uh, And he also says, when you find a wife, you find a good thing. But he also says there's great virtue in being single. Because when you're single, you can devote all of your time and all of your energy to serving the Lord. And Paul said, that's what I am. Now, the, the amazing thing about Paul is that we realize that he had been married um he was a member of the sanhedrin to be a member of the sanhedrin um you, you had to be married uh he probably had children because um, children was uh, a jewish heritage everybody wanted to have children um and, and and it seems clear that when he converted to christ he lost his family and so paul spent the rest of his life single Completely devoted to serving God. He says that's a good thing. In fact, he said it was a better thing. You know, both are good things, but this is a little bit more of a good thing than than being married because a man who's married um, has divided uh, attention. So that's important, Reuben. Um, Being single is what some people are called to do. Now, God doesn't trick us. And since I know you well enough to know that your desire is to be married, that is a desire that comes from God. So why hasn't he fulfilled that desire yet? Um, Reuben, you're going to really have to dig and let the Holy Spirit answer those questions for you. Um, You know, you don't get out much. Uh, you, you, You have struggled with some things in the past. Um, God wants to prepare you for a woman that he is preparing for you. And I think a lot of times we resist that preparation. And one of the things I like to tell uh, our single people here at the church, our men especially, is are you in a place in your walk with Jesus that he could trust you with the woman he loves? If God looks around and says, there's a woman, I love her. It's not good for her to be alone. I want to give her a man. Could he say, Reuben is that man? I know, and I'm not talking about Reuben here personally, but I I know men who have a hard time with sexual purity, Um, men who are engaged in pornography. And um, they will say, well, why won't God bring me a woman? I'll stop doing pornography if, if he brings me a wife. Probably you won't. And why would God bring a woman that he really cares about to any man who is engaged in that kind of sexual immorality? So those are the kind of things that we have to do. What I would do, Reuben, in your case, if I was you, I would just say, Lord, my heart is grateful for all you've done, but I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of being alone. I would like a woman to share my life with and then ask him to show you what areas of preparation that you need to deal with in order to be someone that he can trust with the woman he loves. It's very important because it all starts inside, individually, and we've got to be right with God to have God answer our prayers. And most of the time when single people, men or women, come to me and, why won't God bring me anybody? I had the saddest thing happen. It's sad, but it was also wonderful. Uh, A new lady uh, who came to our church uh, met me this weekend and and she said, um, you know, I started coming here because of how nicely you talk about Paula, how warm your conversation is about her. And I said, well, I know exactly what to pray for you now. I'm going to be praying that God will bring you that kind of a man who will be focused on you, a man who will love you the way Jesus wants you to be loved. And she was so blessed. She said, thank you so much. That's the prayer. Reuben. in your case, you need to be able to honestly let the Holy Spirit show you Am I the kind of man that God can trust with a woman he loves? And often um, God's trying to get us to the place where we're not needy, where, where the attention, um, we're not looking for attention, we're not trying to find uh, a, a mate to keep us from being lonely, but instead we're looking for someone that we can be a blessing to, someone that we can rightly represent the Lord before. Thank you, Ruben. God bless you. And now that I know that about you, you just increased my prayer list in your life, Ruben. God bless you. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. How can I trust the Bible when there are so many missing books? Anonymous, you know nothing about the Bible. There are no missing books. Now, you probably have a Catholic background. The Apocrypha, the books that you claim are missing from uh, the Christian Bible, uh, those books were never viewed as scripture by Jews, the Old Testament. Um, they are inconsistent, incompatible with much of what's already revealed in the Old Testament and contradictory to what uh, the principles we have in the New Testament. They're not books that were written by God. Now, they have some historical value, but they're not Bible. They're not inspired. Men wrote them, but the Bible that we have 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1500 years, all of those books were written by God. Now it was man pushing the pen, but it was the spirit of God pushing the hand of man. So there are no missing books in our Bibles and anonymous. If it's important enough for you to find out, There's a lot of information out there available. Let me suggest one to anybody with questions like this. Um, It's a scholarly work. It's not simple reading, but it is complete. Um, uh, The the, uh, New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Uh, It is a, uh, a deep and wonderful treatment of our faith. Uh, and there is an entire section about the Bible that answers these questions, but there are no missing books in the Bible. The books that you are referring to were never Holy scripture, never intended, nor were they viewed as scripture uh, by the Jews to whom they were first written. Here's a question from Billy. And, and this is going to be a hard question. I'm going to have to answer it kind of generally. He says, why is, what is hyper charismatic churches about? Um, Billy, um, the hyper charismatic churches are about experience. Uh, People want to go and shout and sweat and spit and dance and jump. And, and, and typically, um, you know, goosebumps are what makes them feel like God is there. Uh, The sad thing about hyper charismatic churches is that they're churches that really aren't focused on the Bible at all. Because if they were, they would understand that the behavior that they are embracing in their church is actually in contradistinction to the the behavior the Bible tells us that we ought to have. Now, there's nothing wrong with being excited about serving God or loving God. But worship needs to be orderly. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And anything that is out of control, anything that's, that's contrary to the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives us in several places in our New Testament, um, none of that is of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's a lot of noise, a lot of jumping and, and, and sweating, but, but it's just there's no value in it at all. And the real sad reality, Billy, is that when people leave those churches and go back out to their cars and go home, goosebumps fade. Goosebumps fade. They may talk about, oh boy, the spirit was really moving, Well, it wasn't really the spirit. But the reality is, when you meet the hard things of life, when you're going through the ups and downs of everyday life, when you're going through difficult things, whether they be physical or emotional, um... You need the word. You, 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 goosebumps simply don't suffice. Uh, it is sad for me. I call it goosebump theology. Christians that have goosebump theology are very inconsistent in their walk with Jesus. Up one day, down the next day, and it's always based on how they feel. And these churches pander to our feelings, our emotions. So Billy, that's the question. Or the answer? Here's the last one I'll deal with today. Anonymous wants to know: Was the Jesus Revolution movie accurate? Yeah, by and large, it was. Um, you know, I'm a Calvary Chapel guy, so this is this is kind of our spiritual roots. Uh, certainly, there was some um, rearranging of time frames, and uh, some of the stories were a combination of, of several stories. Uh, there's there's um, um, dramatic and artistic license taken in the movie. But by and large, the movie was accurate. Uh, I think they downplayed the role of the Word of God in the Jesus People movement. I think that's why it lasted for so long. Um, um, and they, they wanted to focus on, on Greg's story, Greg Laurie. Uh, the, the movie was based on a book that he wrote. Now, he didn't write it for the movie. The, the movie producers took that book and decided to make a movie out of it. So rather than a perspective of of the Calvary Chapel movement, it was the perspective of Greg and Kathy Laurie, the changes that God made in their lives, and um, and so it was we, we sort of saw it through their, their lens. But yeah, the Jesus Revolution movie was uh, pretty accurate. I've had a bunch of people come to me and say that movie's now out on live stream uh, and available on uh, on DVD or DVR, whatever it is now. And uh, so, yeah, it's worth watching. It is. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, tonight our Sweet summer Devotion series begins, ladies. Our Monday night Bible studies begin at 7 o'clock. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.